Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. Hello and welcome to Business Fights Poverty Spotlight Interviews. I am Katie Heisen, Director of Thought Leadership. Each week, these interviews provide you with the insights from a different perspective of Business Fight Poverty Network, giving you first-hand understanding of how businesses and others are working on some of the world's biggest social challenges. For today's conversation, I am joined by Peg Willingham. She is the Executive Director of Fair Trade America, the US arm of Fair Trade International. Their mission to work with businesses, farmers, and workers to certify products as ethically and sustainably sourced. Fair trade gives consumers confidence that the people behind the products that you buy get a fair deal for their hard work. Until this year, Peg has served as the Head of Advocacy and Policy at the International Food Policy Research Institute, which provides policy solutions to sustainably reduce poverty and end hunger and malnutrition. Peg started her career as a US Foreign Service official. Her tours include Costa Rica, Saudi Arabia and Colombia. She's received five Superior Honour Awards for this work. She has also worked with organisations including the United Nations Foundation and the International AIDS Vaccine Initiative, amongst others. So I am delighted and very privileged to be joined by Peg today. Peg, welcome. Hello, and thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Great to have you. Peg, my first question today, what is the impact of COVID-19 on the fair trade movement? Well, fair trade is exactly what the name implies. We are an international movement to ensure that the people who grow and harvest the coffee we drink, the food that we eat, the flowers on our tables are getting a fair wage and can have a decent standard of living. So we work with some of the biggest brands, consumers, and we work with the farmers to ensure that people are getting a fair trade minimum price and what we call the fair trade premium which is an extra sum of money on top of the minimum price to ensure that they can work in their communities on projects that the farmers themselves decide about to improve their productivity, their quality, to combat the effects of climate change, to build a clinic or a school, and generally just build resilient communities. The impact of COVID has been especially hard because the agricultural sector, although it's been exempted from the lockdown orders around the world. Uh, So in theory, you know, farmers can still do their jobs. However, if you can't get to the shop to buy seeds or the seed shop is closed or you can't get your produce to market or your migrant workers can't come to your farm or if the shops and restaurants where you have sold your surplus aren't open, you'll see a dramatic drop in standards of living and that's exactly what's been happening. You also see the, the fact that because schools are closed, people are having to bring their children with them to the fields in the countries where we work, in Africa, Asia, Latin America, the Caribbean, in a lot of cases. So it's really had a difficult impact across the board. At the same time, the way the fair trade movement has tried to respond is we have all contributed to the Fair Trade International COVID response funds. There's an immediate relief fund to meet the needs of farmers now and another fund, the Resilience Fund, to try to lay the foundation for longer-term recovery efforts. So to date, we've invested more than 3 million euros. We've also worked to make it easier for our partners in the farming cooperatives 
to decide how they want to spend that fair trade premium that I mentioned. So to be able to quickly pivot to say, now we need to spend it right away on anything from face masks, other personal protective equipment, implementing hygiene campaigns, and more. And Peg, how do you think that other businesses and consumers should be reacting to this impact? We've already seen a number of companies respond quickly and authentically to this crisis. And I think in the months and years ahead, consumers will be saying, How did, what did you do during the pandemic to business and, and brands? They want to hold them accountable. And it's important to realize that food that comes to consumers in North America, Europe, and other developed countries, a lot of times travels thousands of miles. You think about a banana, the most exported food in the world. Those bananas might have traveled to us thousands of miles, and they're cheaper than an apple that might have been grown 40 miles away. And so we need to be prepared to pay a more fair price for food now and in the future if we want it to be sustainable. So businesses right now are thinking about stability of their supply chains with COVID. We've seen that the the lockdowns around the world have made people realize that globalization has its limits and that supply chains need to be more resilient. And companies who invest in these people and communities who are working on the front lines of poverty, that they can create sustainable supply chains and weather future crises by investing, by purchasing these ethically sourced products, by making sure that they know that what their supply chain is doing. What are the conditions for the workers? And are they resilient? For shoppers, the products that we choose every day can help us make a stand to support these farmers. By buying fair trade, people can support the environmentally friendly standards and helping the farmers adapt quickly to the effects of COVID. And Peg, this podcast is part about the work that you're doing, but also we really care about the people behind these movements. Uh, You happen to have recently joined the Fair Trade America as executive director. What made you take this job? Well, my mother grew up on a family farm in Ireland. And so when I was growing up, I heard a lot of her stories about that life and both sort of the romantic, rewarding aspects, but also how challenging and hard that work is. So I spent the first half of my career as a diplomat and agriculture was not the primary focus of my work, but I was primarily stationed in Latin America. So I did visit a lot of coffee and cocoa farms banana plantations, pineapple plantations. And I saw firsthand how hard the people work to to create these products that we consume without really thinking much about it in North America, Europe. Certainly when when I was growing up, I never thought about the fact that people would have to stand on a really steep hillside, pick the coffee by hand, which they still have to do because it's really difficult to, to mechanize coffee production. It's still people standing out there doing this work. And I was asked to write a report about a banana company town in Costa Rica, five years after the the company that had been the entire livelihood for the town had moved its operations to another country that had lower worker pay and protections. And it was a ghost town. The company housing had been left behind but hadn't been maintained. The jobs were gone. The infrastructure had deteriorated. So poverty had increased and substance abuse and domestic violence. And it really opened my eyes. And 
For the past five years, I've worked for an organization called the International Food Policy Research Institute. And it's a nonprofit working all over the world to improve the livelihoods of smallholder farmers. So joining Fair Trade America was really a natural progression because their mission is equally compelling. And the name really says it all, focus on fairness. And so helping to support the work of people who are on the front lines. Farming is really hard, and many people don't realize it's the biggest employer in the world. And a lot of the farmers we work with, the majority of farmers who are picking your coffee and your cocoa are working on farms that are a couple of hectares, a few acres, the size of a football field. And it's very hard for them to make a decent living. So being a part of a movement that improves their dignity is a dream job for me. And I feel very fortunate to be part of this global movement. As you mentioned previously, Peg, your roles have been about partnership and advocacy. What learnings will you be bringing to this new role? Well, I've been very fortunate to spend much of my career advocating for good causes, uh, global health and nutrition, and improving the livelihoods of farmers, as I've mentioned. The private sector plays such an important role in scaling innovation and improving livelihoods. I mean, these farmers themselves are entrepreneurs, just like the biggest companies that you all work with. They want to make a profit. But the public sector also has an important role in advancing change and promoting better working conditions and addressing climate change. And so a number of European governments are investing in the fair trade organizations because It's a smart use of their taxpayer funds. So by working with us, they are promoting those policies they care about, poverty reduction, gender equity, worker rights, addressing climate change. And so, for example, in the UK, Katie, there is a parliamentary interest group just focused on fair trade. So for me, it would be wonderful if here in the US, we could get a US Congressional Caucus on Fair Trade and work with like-minded coalitions and partners to really promote the fair trade movement, for more people to recognize that when you make this purchase with this label, the most recognized and rigorous standards for fair trade, you're actually helping communities and helping promote policies that will make these folks' lives better. Watch this space. Peg's coming to get you. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. And I know we're talking during uh, UN General Assembly Week and focusing on sustainable development goals. That's also a really big, important part of the movement, that those policies that businesses promote, governments promote, civil society promotes, are also really an important part of the work that we do. We, as part of this podcast as well, we're always really keen to sort of share advice, share a bit of wisdom. If someone was to listen to this podcast who was interested in making a more positive impact, what might your advice be? Well, first for for companies and for brands I just want to tell a short story, which is there was a small company we had been working with for years, and it was a family-owned business, and they came out of the natural foods world, and they're very committed to fair trade. And then as a growing and successful business, as often happens, they were bought by a larger organization. And that company initially said, well, what is this fair trade stuff? And this seems like an extra layer of work for us? And is it really cost effective? Does it make sense for a bottom line? All legitimate questions for any business to ask. But they looked at their data about consumer preferences and they saw that in fact, it did make sense from the bottom line. That it's good for profit, it's good for people, it's good for the planet. And so that that newer, larger company said, okay, we're going to still work with you. 
And so that in a microcosm is why businesses should invest in fair trade. Um, They're doing the right thing, but they're also doing the smart thing because increasingly consumers do want to know that the, the clothing they buy, the food, all of the products that come from Africa, Asia, Latin America to the global north have been developed under fair conditions. So it's good for business. Advice for consumers is fairly simple. Look for the ethical label, purchase those products. If you have a favorite product that doesn't have that label, contact the company and express your desire to purchase products that are fair, that are fair for the workers, are good for business and good for consumers. I feel like it would be a missed opportunity if I didn't ask you a little bit about how you see the future. Peg, I mean, sitting at the leading edge of fair trade in terms of the movement, but also what's going on potentially on the ground as well. What would be your predictions that you see sort of coming up that people should be aware of? I think the first thing is that we're going to continue for everyone to want to keep focused on climate change. We've seen this rapid response to COVID-19, which certainly makes sense. But the climate change is also a disaster that's going on and accelerating. And so if the world can respond, if governments can act, if companies can act, if communities can act quickly on a threat that is devastating, but we hope will ultimately you know, end one way or the other and hopefully soon, we surely can keep up that focus on climate change and realizing that we can strengthen supply chains for now and the future. Farmers in particular are some of the most affected by climate change. And yet these smallholder farmers, the ones who are growing your cocoa, your coffee, your sugar, on these very small farms are some of the most affected by climate change. They're seeing that as the weather gets hotter, as flooding increases, drought, an increase in plant diseases, or insects that attack plants, these are all increasing because of climate change or extreme weather events like cyclones that destroyed the sugar crop in Malawi last year. So if we don't have the food that they grow because of climate change, consumers will realize that climate change far away is affecting them directly. Same thing for businesses with their supply chains. Another trend for the future that we hope will continue is, you know, companies putting people first. And COVID is affecting everybody. And of course, the people in the C-suites are the least affected. Um, I'm fortunate to be able to work at home, for example. I still have my job, which I'm very grateful about. But people across the spectrum are are having to juggle things like childcare. And these are things that they're realizing, perhaps they didn't realize before, how many lower paid employees have had to deal with this. I mentioned the farmers having to bring their children to the fields now. So that, and then I've mentioned the vulnerabilities in supply chains. So we just, we just hope that the awareness that's being raised now will continue. And then, you know, yeah, putting people first really should mean meaningfully acknowledging that all the people who make their business possible from the supply chain for the raw goods ingredients all the way up through the workers and the front lines in developed countries, that companies really have developed more empathy and are thinking long-term as well as short-term. We are recording this and talking during UN General Assembly 2020. The focus this year is around building the future that we want. And I I would ask you that very question, Peg, what is the future that you want? No, I think one of the great things about fair trade international movement is that it touches on so many 
important issues. So there's gender justice, there's fighting poverty, there's addressing the effects of climate change, child labor. And so the pandemic has made consumers more aware of the food system. At the very beginning in March, as I'm sure you'll recall, people were rushing to supermarkets and filling up their baskets, being worried about what was going to happen with getting food to actually to their tables. And I think there's been a lot more awareness about what we owe to frontline workers in agriculture, in food production, in retail. And so we're hoping this awareness will reinforce what fair trade consumers and businesses already know, that we're all interconnected and we need to support this network. In terms of climate change, I've already mentioned the effects of the shutdowns. At the same time, COVID has created an unusual real-time experiment on reductions in air pollution, for example. So we hope this will show what's possible and really generate even more support for measures to curb the effects of climate change. And then gender. Women are hit hardest across the board when these disasters happen. Many of the farmers who grow the food that we eat and drink are women. And so when I think about people who who benefited from the work of fair trade, I think of women farmers in Cote d'Ivoire, in Ghana, where most of the world's cocoa is grown. I think it's a cliche that during COVID, we've all been eating more chocolate and baking, but all of that starts with women working on these small farms. And these women farmers have gotten to receive this fair trade premium to put towards things like building homes, building schools, building clinics, improving their businesses, whatever these farmers want to choose. So we'd like to see a future where these women farmers continue to be empowered, continue to be able to have better wages, better conditions for their families and their communities. And finally, just sustainability across the board and sustainable livelihoods. And we have a goal that we share with hundreds of businesses and millions of consumers to reduce poverty improve labor standards, and just better the lives of farmers and workers by inspiring businesses to implement ethical sourcing and production practices and working with shoppers to make informed purchasing decisions. Again, it's good for people. It's good for profit. It's good for the planet. Well, that brings us to the end of our conversation today. Although I have to say, Peg, I could have carried on listening to you explaining and sharing your vision for much longer. So, um, Peg, thank you very much for sharing and reminding us all how vital it is that we look after people around the world, smallholder farmers producing many of our vital staples. Peg, thank you very much. Well, Katie, thanks to you. Thanks to Business Fights Poverty. And thanks to everybody who's listening and committing to bringing the change we want to see. And if you like what you've heard today, please do rate and subscribe to us. I would also love to hear your feedback. So please do drop me a line at any time. I'm Katie at businessfightspoverty.org. Many thanks. Brought to you by Business Fights Poverty. 